1 Samuel chapter 17, I have told you this before, but I'll tell you, some of the greatest stories in the Bible have been relegated to the kids. And we don't talk about them anymore as we get older. And, and uh, some of the, the best Bible lessons take place down that hallway. And uh, I think as adults, we need to recapture those. Even though they're um, very basic, fundamental stories that just wow the kids, you know, with the power of God. There are a lot of grown-up lessons and adult lessons contained in those those stories. So don't leave them behind. And uh, that's what I want us to do tonight is to talk about <clears throat> one of these stories. I think sometimes we take for granted, too, that even our children know some of these stories a few years ago, we were playing charades. I told you this in a sermon or a Bible class some years ago. I don't remember which, but we were playing charades at our house with a youth group. And uh, this girl got uh, a card, and, and she just, well, she was stumped. And so I went to help her, and I said, what's, what's the problem? What'd you get? And she said, and she showed me the little slip of paper, and it said, David killing Goliath. And I said, that, that's, that's not hard. You know, I said, David killed Goliath. Goliath was a giant, you remember? And and she just went, oh, 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 okay, I can, I can do this. And then so she goes out in front of the youth group, and she starts making a stabbing motion, like she was killing somebody with a knife. She didn't even know the story of David and Goliath, the slingshot. She She just heard me say kill, and that's what she assumed. Boy, I tell you, if we, if our children don't know some of these great stories of the Bible, they miss so much about not just an incident, an historical event, but the power of God and how God is able to use us, ordinary people, in His service, and we can be tools in His providential uh, hand. And so, let's go to First Samuel and let's look at um, this passage. Uh, we, we know basically the story, but I'm going to break down the story into three sections, and then the, the lesson will be yours. And the first point is this. There, there is a challenge that has been issued. As you begin in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, the children of Israel were, at again, at battle with the Philistines. And... Um, they were lined up on opposite sides. They're both on these hillsides, and they, they come down to the valley, and, and Goliath would step out. Now, Goliath was six cubits tall and a span, six cubits and a span. A cubit, the, the shy side of a cubit was 18 inches. It, it measured from the tip of your uh, index finger to your elbow, um, that was some measurement, 18 inches. Mine's probably longer than 18 inches. Uh, the Babylonian cubit was actually 22 inches. And so if you just took an average of 20 inches um, or 18 or so, if it was 18, if it was the low side, Goliath would be 9 foot, 6 inches, somewhere around in that neighborhood, tall guy. Um, his head would almost hit the rim on a basketball goal. Uh, if you took a, a medium size, you know, the, the 20 inches, he'd be 10 and a half feet tall. His head would be higher than uh, the rim on a basketball goal. This, this guy steps out, fully dressed in armor, 
has this huge spear and sword and shield and, and he steps out and he challenges God's people. He said, there's no sense in us just spilling a bunch of blood here today. Here's what I want to call you on you to do. You have your best man come out and face me one to one and whoever wins, if you guys kill me, if the man you pick kills me, will be your servants. And if he, uh, or if I kill him, then you're going to be our servants and we'll just settle it one to one. Come on, let's go. Nobody would volunteer. And that went on for some time. And, and David had some brothers in the army. And so David's father one day told David, I've got some cheese I want you to take, you know, some care packages. I want you to take them to your brothers and I want you to take this to his commander and uh, their commanders. And, and uh, so David's going. And one of the days when David goes, he hears this challenge by this Philistines, and man, it just runs all over him. He can't, he can't put up with this. And so he asks, well, what, what is this? Who's saying this? And, and one of the men said, well, David, this has been going on for some time. And if, uh, if we will win, in fact, King Saul, man, he's given us some promise. I mean, he's got a reward to the person who will stand up and, and face Goliath. And, David uh, ends up taking the, the challenge himself. And before we get to that, I, I want us to just point out a couple points that we can learn. First one is this, that God's people always have enemies. Um, if it's not the Philistines, it's the Amorites, it's the, uh, you know, uh, there are a group of people in that Canaan land that, that constantly were a, a plague to the people of God. And it's still the same. There are always people who are going to oppose what's right and what's true, and, and we're going to have to fight against that. First Peter 3, verse 8, the devil goes about like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, whom he may devour. Um, John 15, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, they hated me, and so you're not better than your teacher, so they're going to hate you too, and uh, it's just something we have to bear up under. There are going to be people that don't like you. They don't appreciate you, and I'll tell you why. It's, it's a Jesus thing, but here's why people don't appreciate Jesus. Number one, Jesus is exclusive. He makes claims of deity. He makes claims that he is the only way to the Father. And when it comes to philosophical things, well, religious things, I find it interesting how people so quickly just do away with the idea of exclusivity. What? Only one way to God? Are you kidding me? I mean, you know how many people that would exclude? That's not right. That's so... Man, that's so narrow-minded and unfair. What, what, you're so prejudiced against other beliefs and you hear people say things like that. But why don't those rules apply in other realms? What about math? One plus one equals what? Two. Just two? Yeah, just two. Yeah, but what about all the other numbers? Well, they don't work. I mean, you're going to exclude all those other numbers and just, you know, just two? What about four? What about, you know, 
We don't have problem with exclusivity and other truths. We can accept that and live with that. But we don't seem to want to when it comes to religion. And uh, people hate Jesus because of that. People hate Jesus because he exposes us. He was perfect. He never... This is hard to comprehend. He never thought an evil thought. He never said the wrong thing. He never did the wrong thing. He never gave in to surmising about people and judging motives and and being secretly hypocritical toward a person. Um, he was just, he was perfect. And And when I put my life up against his, I see how imperfect I am. When I read about him in scripture and I see how he... I fall so short. And for some people, that makes them uncomfortable. Some people don't like to say, I'm a sinner. They like to say, I'm holy. I'm a good person. Uh, I, I, I'm a moral person. I, I'm somebody that... Uh, Jesus says, no, you're, you're a sinner. And, and you need saving. And so people hate Christians because of that. Another thing that I think we learn from this challenge that was issued is that our battles oftentimes affect more people than just ourselves. When the devil comes my way and tempts me, if he wins, do you know the potential damage that can cause? What if the devil overthrows my faith? Who might be affected by that? Well... My wife, my children, they might be affected by that. What about the people that I've taught and baptized and and helped to convert through the years? They might be affected by that. You see, there's a whole chain of people that can be adversely affected if I fall. And that's true of your life as well. What happens if you fall? What happens if you give in to the devil and he overthrows you? Who's affected? You see, that was what's at stake here. You lose, your captives. You win, will be your captives. It's not just a battle between David and Goliath. It's a battle of the nations that ride on this. And that's much like our battle with the devil. It's not just about me and him. It's about my family and people that I've influenced through my life. Romans 14 of verse 7 says, no man lives to himself and, well, no man dies to himself. Um, you, you impact people. There are people that are watching you. So there's a challenge that was issued and here's, David picks it up. He says, I'll take it. And then here's the second point. There's a cause to defend. As uh, this is said and this this battle, you know, is is set up and and uh, Goliath comes down and, and makes this statement. In verse, um, well, verses 12 through 37, there's that statement that David makes. Is there not a cause? Uh, how can we let him say this and just stand here and cower? Is there not a cause? The reputation of God is at stake here. Is there not a cause? We need to have the courage to defend the cause. And I'll tell you why sometimes we don't do it. Number one, we don't do it because of personal offenses. 
Sometimes we get our feelings hurt. And, and well, how many people, I dare say there are people that used to sit in the pews here that no longer are here because someone hurt their feelings, because someone overlooked them, because someone said something that they took the wrong way, because somebody maybe really did say something that was kind of nasty and, and it just ran all over them and, and they didn't process it and they, they're gone. We can't let that happen. Why would I turn my back on God because of what you say to me? God didn't do anything. Um, but that's how people act. Um, they, they get mad at God when a brother treats them or mistreats them. And if anybody had a reason to turn his back and say, you take care of it. It would have been David. You remember when David came and he asked, he said, what, what is this I hear? What's going on? And they tell him what was going on. And look at verse 28. Eliab, that's David's older brother. Oh, his anger was aroused against David. And he said, why would you come down here? What are you doing here? You, you're not in the army. What are you doing here? I can just hear the, the contempt in his voice. And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Oh, that is such a dig. You know, David, number one, what do you think you're doing here? And don't you have a few little sheep running around you should be taken care of? It's demeaning talk. It's insulting. It's supposed to be insulting. His brother's trying to run David off and belittle him in front of all these people. And then he judges his character as well. He said, I know your pride and insolence and that you have come down just to see the battle. Boy, you talk about, that's three insults right there. Number one, what do you think you're doing here? Don't you have a few little sheep to take care of back home? I know that you're proud heart. You just want to come down here and watch a battle mode of judging. If anybody would have had the right to have turned around and walked home mad, it would have been David. But David didn't because as he said, verse 29, David, listen, you think he's been talked to this way before? Listen to what he says. What have I done now? Can't you hear the exasperation in that? Now what have I done? You know, I, I think he's probably been around that older brother a few times before, and, and uh, it, it's something he's heard. Now what have I done? But listen, David's resolve, is there not a cause? You're not running me off. There is a cause to defend here, and I've signed up. Um, don't, friends, don't let people run you from God. Don't let somebody hurt your feelings to where you turn your back on God. It doesn't make sense. There's a cause to defend. And even if it means we have to stand alone, let's have the resolve to do that. God said concerning Job in the Old Testament, will a man serve God for nothing? That's the question that the devil asked, and God said, well, yeah, he will. Consider my servant Job. He'll, he'll serve me for nothing. Not if I take everything from him. Y- yes, he will. No, no. If, if you let me touch his life and, and take everything from him, he'll curse you. 
No, he won't. Because Job will serve me if it means he stands with nothing. And he would. And he did. And that's the kind of resolve that we need to have. There is a cause that is bigger than ourselves, and people ought not be allowed to run us from it. Don't wear your feelings on your sleeves and on your shoulders to the point that you can be run away from uh, defending the cause and living the, for the cause of Christ. And, and here's something else that I learned from this. Age doesn't have anything to do with faith. There were people who were much older. David is said to be a young man. I don't know how old he was, but he was young in comparison to the rest of the folks there. And they were afraid to step forward. It was the, the youth that stepped forward and said, I'll take the challenge. Don't discredit youth. Don't dismiss young people. Uh, Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise you, literally to think down on you because of your youth. Don't, don't let anybody do that. You have much to offer. And um, that youth still do. Uh, because a person's young doesn't mean they can't do great things for the Lord and, and make a meaningful impact in the lives of other people. And not only youth, but aged. I remember a fellow by the name of Caleb, who was 85 years old, and he said, give me that mountain where the lions or the, the giants dwell, and, and that's the land I want. I want to drive them out. Age doesn't have anything to do with faith. And put things in perspective. I, I think that's something else I learned here. Because when when they start to talk to David, David says, I'll do it. And, and they begin to say, well, wait a second. You can't do it. You're just a youth. And David says, well, I can too. I, I've killed a lion and a bear. That I, I took a, a lamb from a, a, a lion's mouth. And, and rescued it. And when that lion turned on me, I grabbed it by the beard and I killed it. Don't, I can do it. God's with me. Sometimes, here's the way we view life. We, we remember our mistakes. You know, we, we write those in granite and we etch them in our walls of our memory and boy, they, they, they haunt us. I remember that time when I messed, oh man, that was awful. And, and we have this wall of memory um, and it's usually our failures. And our successes, we ride in the sand, and the waves come in, and pretty soon they're washed away, and we don't think about them anymore. They're just overwhelmed by that wall of mistakes. I'm suggesting that maybe we need to etch both. And if either needs to be etched in sand, it probably ought to be our mistakes. We need to remember our victories because what that does is it emboldens us and gives us courage to face things as we come across them. David, the reason he thought he could beat Goliath is because he remembered God was with him and he remembered successes in his past. And that encouraged him to say, I can do this too. Um, remember your successes. They'll embolden you. And then the third point, and the lesson will be yours is that there is a champion that is to be crowned. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if we begin in verse 38 and going through the end of the chapter, verse 58, um, we see the victory that was given. Uh, David walks down there, and I just, you know, you got to love David because Goliath 
looks at David with contempt and says, are you kidding me? You're sending out this youth out here to me? This is ridiculous. And David just kind of lets him have said, man, I'm going to tear you up and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds today. I mean, he's just like really letting them have it, doing, you know, trash talk. They come together. Of course, David has a sling. He didn't wear the armor, not because the armor was too big, but because he just wasn't used to it. He hadn't tested it. And he says, nah, I'm, I'm good with this sling. And he went out there and, and hit Goliath in the head. That stone embedded and he fell and then he took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. At that point, the Philistines fled. So much for keeping their promise will be your servants. They fled to regroup and fight another day, and they were chased down, and the battle uh, continued. But here's the point that we need to realize. Our victories are God-given, not earned. David didn't earn that victory, and, and he didn't claim to have earned it. Uh, he, he knew that it was God. He, he knew that it was God who delivered the lion and delivered the bear into his hand. And he knew it was God who would deliver Goliath into his hand as well. And our victories are God-given. When you win over Satan, it's not because you're such a great person. Because you've messed up enough to know that you've got a lot of frailties. Give credit to God. He's the one. That you ought to credit. If, if you go to heaven someday, it's not because you were such a masterful uh, soldier that no one could touch you. You, know, you got touched a lot. You lost a lot of battles. The reason you'll be saved is because you were on the Lord's side. and He was fighting for you. Those 300 men that were separated by Gideon and that army, they didn't beat the Midianites. God beat the Midianites. They were just instruments in God's hands. Joshua, as they walked around the city of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, walked around those 17 times or 13 times in those seven days, they didn't knock down the walls of Jericho. God did. They were just instruments in God's providence. And we too. I remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, I am what I am by the grace of God. Um, It's no credit to myself. It's by his grace, 1 Corinthians 15. And then I'll just remind you of this as we bring this to a close. The the outcome of this battle that we've been talking about, it's already determined. Um, God's, no man is going to thwart the power of God. It's not going to happen. God is going to win. The question that remains for us to decide is, Whose side are we going to fight on? God will be victorious. In fact, you know, we, we've got the end of the book. I, I've told you before, one of the things that my sister would do as a kid, she loved all those Nancy Drew books, Hardy Boys, all, all those kind of things. She would read those, and I, I hated to read when I was, and I was younger than her anyway, And but what I would do is I would go to the very last page of those books and read what happened, and then I'd tell her before she got done, just out of meanness. Um, that, that was a mean thing to do, and she'd always be getting me in trouble because I'd do that to her. But here's the thing. I've read the end of this book, and I think I can tell you without making you mad. 
And the way this book ends is that if you belong to God and if you fight on his side, you'll win. The battle has been won. It's just a matter of who you want to line up with. You can line up with with Satan, with the forces of this world. You can line up with materialism that looks so attractive for a little bit. You can line up with the secularism of our our culture and society. And and you can line up with hedonism and, and humanism and all the things. You can just pursue whatever you want to pursue in this life and and line up with it and enjoy it for as long as you have because it's going to come to an end. When it comes to an end, then what? There's eternity to answer for it. Or you can do as Moses and deny the pleasures of sin and enjoy the pleasures of eternity. God is going to win. That's settled. What has not been settled is who you're going to fight for. You need to be on the Lord's side. Take note of this battle in this in this Old Testament. See, it's more than just an interesting story about a little a young guy beating up a great big giant. There's some grown-up lessons in this. And I want to encourage you tonight as we sing this song of encouragement that if you're not fighting on the Lord's side right now, make that decision to, to take up arms to join the fight. Is there not a cause? If you haven't been faithful to God and, and you've been negligent, maybe you've laid down your sword for a while and you haven't been the kind of person you should be, but you realize there is really, there is a cause and, and I need to pick that sword back up. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.